desire. The vogue idea of doing a bucket list raises the question of whether it's possible to live well and to die well without satisfying our desires. Human history shows that we see the world as a kind of a need gratification machine. We farm its plants and animals to fill our bellies. We mine its minerals and fossil fuels to drive industry. We turn mountains into slag heaps for commerce in the name of jobs and growth and higher living standards. No forest or river or endangered species can stand in the way of profit and progress. Some of us wring our hands at the desecration of the oceans and the skies, but still we plunder and pollute like there's no tomorrow. We tell ourselves we're determined to shrink our footprint for the sake of our grandchildren. We say we're committed to reducing fossil fuel emissions and the carbonisation of the atmosphere that's heating the earth. But together, we're unleashing untold damage to the biosphere and the ecological basis for life. In 2015, it was calculated that 23,000 of the world's 73,000 known assessed species were threatened with extinction. The combined effects of rising human population, global warming, uncontrolled hunting, invasive species and habitat destruction are accelerating species extinction and shrinking biodiversity at an unprecedented rate. Today, the average extinction rate is between 1,000 and 10,000 times faster than the rate that prevailed over the past 60 million years. One example. In 2015, the death of one of four remaining northern white rhinos caused headlines around the world. It's an exemplary story of our attack on nature and the blindness that often shields us from knowing the consequences of our actions. It's also a tale about the way we're using medical science to resurrect life from the ashes of destruction, when all the while we're hell-bent on destroying it. In November of 2015, media outlets reported the death of Nola, a 41-year-old female rhino in San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Zoo veterinarians euthanised Nola, though many reports omitted this detail, preferring to say she died after age-related health issues and a lingering infection had caught up with her. Captured in southern Sudan in 1975, she spent all but the first 18 months of her life in captivity. First at Devor Kralov Zoo in the Czech Republic, and from 1989 at San Diego Zoo in California. Nola never conceived, and now the world's three remaining rhinos, two females and one male, are considered too old to reproduce naturally. Throughout her captivity, science was used to coax Nola into conceiving in the hope of averting the extinction of her species, whose numbers have crashed from about 2,000 to just three in the past 50 years. Population numbers have plunged, mainly due to uncontrolled hunting and poaching. In 1990, Nola was joined at San Diego by Angelifu, a 20-year-old male rhino. When she resisted his advances, zoo staff dosed her food with prostaglandin, and progesterone, 
in a bid to make her more receptive to his advances. The two finally mated, but she never conceived. In death, Nola has been pressed into service as a science marketing tool for defying the inevitable. Scientists perform a post-mortem on her 4,000-pound carcass to remove tissue for use in a range of reproductive possibilities. In theory, Nola could live on to save her species through applications like artificial insemination, in vitro fertilisation, embryo transfer, genetic engineering, or even hybridising her remains with a member of the more populous southern white rhino. All this will take decades and millions of dollars, with no certainty of success. To further her contribution to science, Nola's body resides at the National Museum of Natural History at the Smithsonian Institution as part of its research collection. Captured, caged, drugged, mated, euthanised, biobanked, and acquired for reproductive research, Nola is a symbol of our inhumanity and our refusal to live in harmony with nature, or to recognise that all this gee-whiz science is putting the cart before the horse. Today humans are using the equivalent of one and a half planets per year to meet their demand for resources and to absorb the toxic waste stream. This means that it takes Earth a year and six months to regenerate what we consume and cast aside every year. Unchecked human consumption is unleashing catastrophic damage on an unprecedented scale. And despite the mountain of evidence that we're at a tipping point, we're still living beyond our means and the laws of nature. But it wasn't always so. As Stephen Jenkinson says, Older ways of life know the world as animate, as alive. That means the world is treated with the same regard and esteem as every living thing in it. People living these older ways of life know themselves as of the world, made of the same things, in the same ways. In modern, sophisticated ways of life, the world is inert and inanimate, a staging ground for life, but not alive itself. People living in that way tend to feel a bit like visitors or strangers to the world, uniquely wrought. But this faith in the unprecedented, singular self turns out legions of solitary, standalone people. This faith is hard on companionship. These people fan out over the countryside, compelled by need, bent on getting those needs met. Business as usual is unsustainable, but there's no sign that we're about to change an ideology that's driving us all to extinction. For the proposition that we could live and die with unmet needs and desires is intolerable, only because we say so. Stephen Levine has related the story of a man with cancer. He wanted to complete his life by finding his lotus before he died. He reveals how the man's relationship to desire was the source of his dissatisfaction and his suffering, and that gradually he saw that it wasn't having what he wanted that brought him satisfaction, but rather the absence of his desire. Levine says, He mentioned that when something wanted was received, he noticed a momentary spiking of his pleasure and the experience we call satisfaction. But to his surprise, 
The satisfaction didn't come from the having, but from the momentary flash of getting when the light of its great nature was no longer obstructed by a mind full of desire. It was the absence of desire which offered the feeling of satisfaction, of temporary completeness. The very nature of desire was one of dissatisfaction with any moment in which the object of desire was not present. The recognition of the painful nature of desire didn't make him desire less, but it allowed him to treat desire with a new respect. The lesson here is this. You can chase what you think you want and need. You can live your life aiming to finish your bucket list. And in conventional terms, achieving these ends might look and feel like success and richness. But there are consequences. There are profound consequences for your children and the planet that will reverberate for eons. Deeper still, meeting our so-called desires in this way isn't what it seems because it misconceives what we are, what we owe, and what brings us true satisfaction. Thank you.